police running through and you know dragging us out and putting us in prison that we're free to speak the name of Jesus amen so anyway um, let's let's pray let's see what God speaks to us about um, I want to continue if I can today so for those that are joining us online or even here in the house for the first time uh, over the last few weeks we've been talking about pain and, and how we as Christians deal with pain and how pain comes from different sources it can be a spiritual attack it can be what someone does to you it can be our own silliness stupidity I don't know if you want to call it that sinfulness to a degree we're sons and daughters of God and the language that we use here at Family Life Church Mount Clear is that um, we're no longer sinners but even as his children we still have the propensity to sin yeah, we still live in a fallen flesh we still live in this body I know it's fallen because otherwise I would look like Arnold Schwarzenegger um, and this is not Arnold Schwarzenegger's body at the moment so anyway that aside let's pray Father we just pray that you would have your way today that you would speak to us that you would challenge us that you would refresh us Lord God that you would infill us Father, that if our fl flame is burning bright, I pray, God, that you'd continue to fuel it. If it's just, just a, a small ember, I pray, Lord God, that today, Holy Spirit, that you would fan it into an even bigger flame. I pray, God, that in it all and through this season, Lord, being with people that love you, Father, that we would walk away from this place more like your son, Jesus. Lord, ready to bring Jesus to a, a broken humanity that needs him so desperately and so badly. So we do thank you for the privilege and honour of being here. We thank you for the wonderful genius of people over the years that allow us to, to stream and to be able to watch and listen from home. God, we just thank you for that. We know, Lord, that right now at this very time, over the next 24 hours, depending on your time uh, and the country that you're in, that the entire globe is being covered by the name of Jesus. So, Father, we thank you for radio waves. God, we thank you for all of that. And we give you all the glory. And everybody said... Amen. Ah, it's so good to be here. I'm just looking for a tissue because I'm stepping off camera. Oh, thanks, Im. You can throw me the box. Thank you. Because um, I was crying as usual, but now it's smudged my glasses and I won't be able to see what I'm reading and it's probably important to be able to see what you're reading without a dot that's constantly in your face. But I must say, having taken my glasses off, some of you look wonderful today. Like, seriously, Wow. <laughs> some <laughs> it just let me put it okay let's just talk like this today <laughs> no, sorry, I'm joking. Uh, all right preventable avoidable pain sometimes in life we actually there are things that we go through seasons that we go through things that we experience things that we feel that really in reality are preventable they're avoidable yeah we don't have to go through them but sometimes the valleys that we find ourselves in are actually valleys that we've caused <laughs> or valleys that we've chosen to walk into does that make any sense yeah so sometimes the valley that we find ourselves in is the web that we've woven and got trapped in if you think about it like this you sleep in because you've turned off the alarm 27 times and now you're running late for work or late for school, late for uni, late for kids, drop off, whatever it might be. So you decide this one particular time you're going to drive a little bit quicker than what you normally drive because now you're running late because you chose the Duna demon over getting up, right? So now you're speeding and then the next thing you hear and see is... Bah! 
and the sirens are blaring and they pull you over and they're slapping you with a 300 and something, almost a $400 fine. That pain that you've gone through, that valley, because no one likes those, those particular you know, things when they happen, that's our choice. We chose that. We made that happen. We walked into that valley. What about... Um, even better what about you're at home you've got all these bills that are coming and you forget one and you don't pay your mobile phone bill I don't know about anyone else my children's lives would stop if their phone wasn't working if data was turned off oh seriously even recently with young Nathan we had that happen for five minutes and if we didn't um, uh, what's the word Mel we had to create a hot spot for him like it would have been World War Four in our car, you know, because he needed connection. So could you imagine not paying your bill and then your phone goes off, but your phone's important for your business. And now over the next 24, 48, even 72 hours while you're trying to rectify it, you're losing work. And you've got workers to pay. You've got insurances to cover. That pain, that, that's, that's your own fault. Um, what about... What about if you don't get your car serviced and then it breaks down? Don't, don't cry out to the Holy Spirit for not maintaining your car when it ran out of petrol and oil and the thread was coming through the tires. Just because you heard stories of missionaries overseas where God somehow took their car and moved it another 300 kilometers with no fuel they're missionaries overseas. They couldn't put fuel in their car, but we could. You know, That's self-inflicted. That stuff's avoidable. That's, that's preventable. But, but then, then it gets worse because you beat yourself up and, and, and you get upset and you, you actually talk down on yourself. You start to think, well, that was a bit stupid. That was silly that I did that. I think sometimes... It's those things, but at another degree of difficulty that I'll share that can be the most difficult ones to navigate. Because what happens when your choice, your decision, actually not only affects you, but might affect your family. Not only your family, might affect somebody else. See, on the one hand, it can be easy when it only affects us because we can see where we've made the mistake. Next time, I'm not going to hit snooze. Next time... I'm going to make sure all the bills are paid. Next time, I'm going to get the car service. We can work a plan to fix those things so we don't experience that pain again. But there are other things, yeah, that aren't so easily fixed and not so easily learnt from. Imagine that same scenario where you're speeding, but instead of getting the police siren going and getting a fine, you hit someone crossing the road or you hit another vehicle. And they're permanently injured. Maybe even a death because you slept in. That's avoidable pain, don't you think? What about if you decide in your relationship that the grass is greener on the other side and then your partner decides to walk away from you? That's avoidable pain, I reckon, too. You made the choice to jump fences. What about, what about someone shares something with you in secret, something juicy, but it's good, it's their heart, 
And then in a moment of frustration, you blurt it out, let it out, and their life falls apart because what they've shared with you in confidence, in counsel, and now you've actually shared it with other people. That's avoidable pain. But that's pain that can sometimes be really, really hard to live with. You know, I mentioned earlier that over the last few weeks we've been looking at the, the perpetrators of pain, so to speak, where they come from. But, but one of them is from our own, I'm going to use the word sinful because we have the propensity to sin, but wrong choices, bad choices. Some of the stuff we go through is because of us. We still have free will. We can, still can do things that actually affect other people. And so we need to learn how do we deal with stuff that we've done that's affected others? How do we deal with things when we've done something and it's affected us and those around us? How, how do we walk through this? And we've been looking at David in Samuel and a whole bunch of stuff because I, I, I love King David and I want to continue to look at David even in the midst of one of his own mistakes, if that's all right. So we're going, to look at, we're going to jump into 2 Samuel from chapter 11. And it reads, In the spring of the year, everyone's okay, they're good, we're, we're cruising so far, we've got a foundation, I'm glad, amen. All right, so in the spring of that year, the time when kings go out to battle, really important, you should underline that, the time when kings go out to battle, he was a king. David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David, King David, at the time when kings go into battle, David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and he's just walking on the roof of the king's house. You can't walk on your roofs now. Or maybe some of you, who's got a flat roof? No one? Oh, praise God for everybody here. So if you've got a flat roof at home, sorry. But you could walk on the roof of your house. So he's David, and he's strutting his stuff across the roof of the king's house. And he saw from a roof a woman bathing. Yeah? And the woman, it says, the scripture says, wasn't just beautiful, was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is this... Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? So David sent messages and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived. And she sent and told David, I am pregnant. He's David. <laughs> He's a man after God's own heart. But now, some of the stuff that's hidden in his heart is exposed. It actually comes out. And we would say, in our vernacular, we would say, he's busted. <laughs> he's gone. He's caught. But it, it, it actually gets worse. Because if you know the story, David finds out that he's pregnant. So now he starts to wheel and deal to, how am I going to get out of this trouble? So when Uriah... The husband of Bathsheba comes home from fighting where David should have been because that's where all the other kings were. He starts planning to get himself out of trouble. So he sets it up and he thinks to himself, if I can get Uriah to go home, because all the men come back from battle and they stay and sleep on mats in a tent ready to go back out to battle. He thought, if I can just show a little bit of 
love to Uriah and give him the privilege of going home. Having been out to battle, surely he will sleep with his wife. And then when she says he's pregnant, we can say it's because of that. If I was out in a battle and the king said, go home, be with your wife, before he finished that sentence, I would have been out of the room. Like, gone, see you later. But Uriah, he's a little bit different than most men. He has principles, yeah? like full-on principles. And he actually doesn't feel like it's right to be relaxing, chilling out in his home with his very beautiful wife. So he actually chooses to go back to where the soldiers are sleeping and he sleeps on his mat there. Now, you can understand that that probably upset David a little bit because it thwarted his plan. So David thinks, well, hold on, I still have opportunity. What I'll do is I'll spend some time with him. So he invites him over, they spend some time together, they get drunk because they're friends. And then he says, go home and be with your wife. Go, spend some time with her. In fact, take a day off. Spend the whole day, you know, because this thing is surely, surely this man will now go home and do what he has to do as a husband. But Uriah still decides not to go home. He still decides to stay with the men, sleeping on the mat before they go out to battle again. So David, in desperation now, calls Joab, the commander of the army, and says, hey, Joab, do me a favor. Can you ring Uriah? When he comes, don't place him where he normally is. Put him up front. Yeah. For those of you that are old enough to remember MASH, they talked about the front. That's where everyone got shot and dead and all the wounded came from. Put him up front. Because he was hoping then, if he dies, at least then if he dies, I can take Bathsheba as my wife. And so he does die. He dies there. So David, the man after God's own heart, essentially murdered Uriah. It, it, it was almost like, it, some of you may have never experienced this. I came to the Lord when I was 19, almost 20. So, so I have a small history Maybe some of us have a history, even as believers, but you ever told a lie, a small lie, and then it gets found out? So you embellish another lie to cover up the other one so it doesn't look as bad? Anyone ever done that? No? Like, seriously, come on. Am I the only wicked person here? I thank you for the thousands of hands that are up at home, not in this room, right? But it's like that. You cover it up, and you cover it up, and, he, and David's just trying to get himself out of trouble. That story has such wonderful truth in it for us to learn from. Not only how not to make a mistake, but how to work through it. Yeah, Because the one thing that David did, and he did so well, he, he knows he's stuffed up, but he recognizes. He actually recognizes he's at fault. He recognizes I've done something wrong. Because when we're in that space where we've hurt someone, where we're going through pain, and we've inflicted it somehow... Yeah? Often the questions that come up is, how did we get here? How did I get here? How did this happen? And I realize that even as we talk about pain that you and I have inflicted on others, some unintentionally, but some intentionally over the years, the last thing we want to do is to stop and analyze it, you know, and review it like on a recording Fast forward, reverse. Oh, I see when I did that. Yeah. I mean, none of us want to do that. 
But so often we have to do that because we all have different moments in life where we have feelings that we, where we feel abandoned. We feel alone, yeah? We feel segregated. We feel like we're the only one who thinks this way. Why am I so lonely? Why don't my kids talk to me so often? It's our own choices. But unless we actually stop to see our part in it, we'll never get answers to those questions. Because part of the healing process is actually recognizing and admitting where things went wrong, where they went astray, so that we don't make the same mistakes again. Is that okay? So David himself, he chose to walk a compromised path. He chose that, and it led him into a compromised position that got worse and worse. He chose to stay back. He chose to walk on the roof. This man after God's heart. He should never have been at the palace. Never, never, ever, ever. He shouldn't have been there. It wasn't the season for it. He should have been on the battlefield in the spring of that year, the time when kings go out to battle. He should never have been on that rooftop. Ever. Particularly being the king, he knew that it was at that time of day that women came out to bathe. So he's in a place that he shouldn't be because he should be at war. He's on a roof that he shouldn't be because he should at least be inside because he knows it's a time of day where women come out to bathe. He compromised himself, he positioned himself. He should have known, he should have guarded himself. He put himself in that position. No one, no one else can be blamed. You know, for you and I, for all those that are watching at home, this, these, some of these examples might be far away, but let's just say we, we, we've got a problem with alcohol. The last thing we want to do when we should be at a place that has no alcohol is to put ourselves in a place that's full of it, yeah? Sometimes we have to make choices. If we're struggling with that, why are those things near us? We've got to make choices. If, if we're a person that struggles with pornography, don't sit on your phone, don't sit on a computer where no one else can see the screen, where you're susceptible, vulnerable to those things. Don't go there. Don't compromise yourself. If you struggle, struggle with gambling, the last thing you want to do is book lunch at Zagami's where the pokies are. Yeah? It seems like common sense, but this should have been common sense for King David. It should have been. It was the season that the kings went to war. But here he is on the roof. Now he's out. He's there. They talks about Bathsheba, but it was the hour that women came out to bathe. How long was he out there? What else was he doing? You and I, as Christians, we've got to be able to recognize sometimes the decisions we make that lead to our own pain. Yeah? And not only recognize it, because if we can't recognize it, we'll always go astray. But we need to recognize it so that we don't position ourselves there again. So that we can make better choices. You know, David never set out to have an affair. He didn't set out to murder one of his best friends. That, that was never his intention. But he, he put himself in a position to fail. He put himself in, in a position to fall. And we have to see and understand that you and I, we're the most vulnerable to temptation when we're actually sitting, resting back, interpreting the pain from the season that we're in, yeah? Get this just for a minute. 
as a peacetime rather than a wartime. Now, I understand that there's peace that surpasses understanding in Jesus. But the Bible also says that our fight is not against flesh and blood. And sometimes these seasons that we're battling with, they're self-inflicted. Yeah? They're self-inflicted because we've positioned ourselves to be compromised and now we haven't even realized that we're in a spiritual battle, not just a physical one. Yeah? You know, we have to guard our heart. We have to make a decision when we're in our right mind, but not, not waiting to make a decision in the moment because in the moment, it's too late. When you've got a glass in your hand, it's too late. When you've already searched up and looked, it's too late. When you've just hit someone with your car, bad analogy, it's too late. Yeah, We need to make decisions because we need to set ourselves you know, set ourselves up in life because so much of the pain that you and I can and do experience, is a, it's preventable. It's avoidable. That was avoidable for David. You know, if you know where you're going to be tempted from, if you know the places that the enemy pushes you to to tempt you, if you know those things, make a decision now not to go out onto the roof. Yeah? Make a decision at that time of day recognize it like King David did. If we learn anything from this, recognize those things and set ourselves up from victory. They say that 90% of the pain in our lives can actually be prevented. 90%. That's huge. Yeah? Much of the pain that we experience, a lot of the pain is actually primary. It's secondary. It's tertiary to the decisions that we've made. That one decision. And the truth is, this one's a hard one to swallow. You ready? Our worst enemy is ourselves. The worst enemy is me, my inner me. You know, you and I, we, we were born with a sinful nature. You know, we believe that. Totally believe that we were born with a sinful nature. And that has or it will lead you astray. We live in a fallen flesh. Praise God for the cross because now we're children. Yeah, and as children, we no longer are sinners. We have the propensity to do wrong, yeah? We have the propensity to sin, but we're not sinners because a sinner can't get into heaven, remember? <laughs> sinners can't sit in heavenly places. But we still have free will to make a decision to do the wrong thing, to make a wrong call. Our worst enemy is inside of us. Jeremiah 17.9 reads, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Think of it this way. You don't have to teach children how to lie. <laughs> Anyone got kids or grandkids that have lied before? Did you teach them that? Did they kept, maybe you did. Maybe they caught you out, right? But you don't have to teach them. You, hey, Freddie, you're not touching that, are you? No. Right? Where did they learn to lie? It's in there already. You don't have to teach your children to rebel. Can you, hey, when you get up this morning, can you make your bed? I don't want to. I'm, I'm, what? Excuse me? I'm sorry? I didn't teach them that. It's already there. So, and now we've got David. And even David said in his Psalms, Psalm 51 verse 5, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So no one has lied, no one has deceived, no one has hurt, no one has portrayed you more than you. 
No one has lied to me, deceived me, hurt me, or betrayed me more than me. You know, Satan doesn't have to tempt us with the ridiculously evil. He just has to deceive us with the deceptively good. <laughs> he takes what God created as good and he, tempt, and he tempts us to make it God. Even, even the enemy has a plan. Yeah? The enemy has a strategy. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He's got a plan. He's got a strategy. First I'll steal, then I'll kill, then I'll destroy. And his strategy hasn't changed. He's going to tempt us to compromise. He's going to tempt us into walk into compromising positions. Yeah? He, he will do that. And like David, we should never have been on that roof. Because once we're on the roof, the enemy then will condemn us at his best party trick. Once we've actually been compromised, once we've made, made a decision, done something that's actually brought pain to us and to somebody else around us, then he actually starts to tell us yeah, and try to make us believe that's who we are. And he starts to rob us of our identity as children of God. But we're better than that. We have to be ready. We have to be set up. We, we need to have a strategy that's ready to fight. You know, I, I know we're made up of, of body, mind, soul, but basically we're, we're spirit. Yeah? Basically we're spirit and we're flesh. And if you're going to feed one more than the other, that one is going to get bigger. If you're going to feed the flesh, if you're going to feed your body and starve your spirit, you'll find often that you end up in compromising positions. Again, our choice to get there. We, we need to be aware of this so that we can fight this. Does that make any sense? If the people that don't know Jesus want Jesus, they're going to want a Jesus that's victorious. And if we're living in defeat, they're not going to want that. We're not going to experience that commercial, that shampoo commercial, I'll have what she's having, you know. We're not going to experience that if we're living in defeat. We have to be prepared. And, and I guess they, they talk about armies laying siege. What that means is they, they actually set themselves up to stop or to block. Yeah? We have to stop, block, obstruct traffic into our city, into our heart. In other words, we've got to cut off the supply lines to selfish desires. Now, how you do that's entirely up to you. How I do that's entirely up to me, but we have to be aware. We, we have to recognize, because if we don't, we'll make that mistake over and over and over again. David recognized. He never made that mistake again. Never made that mistake again. You know, David placed himself in a position to fall, but you and I, we, man, we, we, don't, have to, we don't have to do that. We don't have to fall there. You know, the good thing is that no matter how far we may run from God, we can never outrun him. I think that's a good thing, yeah? We're never outside of the reach of grace of God. But this is a biggie for me. God will bring us face to face with our mistake, our wrongdoing, our sin, if you like, what we've done wrong. He will actually bring us face to face with that to deal with it before we can step out of the shame and carry into healing. David had to face it, didn't he? 
David was caught. David was compromised. From 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 to 7, the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and he grew it up with him and his children. He shared his food, drank from his cup, even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Sounds like Coco at home with Melanie. Now a traveller came to the rich man. But the rich, for those that are watching and have no idea, that's our little make-believe dog that lives inside the house that my wife calls a pet. So anyway, we'll keep going. Now the traveller came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveller who'd come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come, who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. And it goes on. He gets caught. He gets busted in his compromise. And isn't it interesting that when he paints, Nathan paints this picture, isn't it interesting how quickly David, and, and I'm going to suggest us, that we can recognize and see the wrong in everybody else. Amazing. How, like, he's on it. What a righteous, oh, this guy, he's got to die. What a wicked man. Well, that was you. It's like, ding, 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 ding. Penny drop. We don't often recognize. We don't often see it in ourselves. But we have to recognize it and see it in ourselves. Because if we don't, then we can never repent. David recognized it and then he repented of it. And, and I, love, I love our God because after David repents, one of, the most, one of the most painful parts of this whole story of David and Bathsheba is that she loses the baby, yeah? I don't want to say it's part of God's judgment, yeah? but we are talking Old Testament, but I think that's one of, one of the saddest part of the story. But here's another hard truth to swallow, that God will allow us to experience the consequences of our mistakes so that we'll realize we need him. If we don't experience some of those consequences... It's almost like doing wrong out in life and the police pull you over and say, hey, don't do that again and, let, and they let you off and you do it again. But when you experience a consequence of something, you actually realize that there needs to be a change. And in this case, God allows, allows us to experience those consequences so we can realize that we need him. You know, I said weeks ago that maybe there are parts of our journey, our growth in our relationship with God, with Him, our growth in maturity that can't happen unless we're walking through difficult times. Now, God can't do evil, but He'll use that evil that's happening, the consequence, if you will, that's happened to us for greater good. 
I believe he permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Psalm 51, verses 1 to 4. Have mercy on me. So this is David. He's recognized now. Now we're moving into repentance. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. And you know what? When we do wrong, if we're going to be totally honest and transparent, some of you can lie to yourselves if you like, right? But when we do wrong, it doesn't go away. You can sweep it under the carpet. My old pastor used to say years ago, Malkin testified, he goes, when you sweep enough under the carpet, it creates a little mound for you to trip on. You can sweep it away, but it's always there. He says, my sin is always before me. And then he says this in verse 4, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Man, this guy took somebody else's wife because he was on a roof looking at naked women when they were bathing and he liked one, fell pregnant and then when his plan didn't work, has the husband killed? So imagine the ripple effect in family and then he says against you, speaking to the Lord, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. This is why I love David. This is, this is David, the, the man after God's own heart. It comes through in his words. See, failure doesn't mean that we're a failure. Failure means that we have the opportunity to be like Jesus. And, and David having this heart shows true repentance, like flat-out true repentance. He shows what I'm going to call godly sorrow. He doesn't show worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is this, oh, man, I've been caught. I got busted. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean for that to happen. That's worldly sorrow. But godly sorrow is something a total, totally different. He realizes that he's grieved the heart of God. He has grieved the God that loves him. He's grieved the God whose heart that he's after. And he realizes that he's grieved God. And David says, man, I've sinned only against you. Now, he knows he's done wrong against other people. But for David, and this is where you and I as Christians need to get to, when, we reckon, when we're repenting, it's not saying, I'm sorry, love, because I got upset and I yelled today. I'm, I'm sorry that I gave you the finger when I drove past your car, but you drive like a grandmother. That, that, <laughs> that's not, not it, but it's like, God, I have grieved you. And, and, and now I, I am filled with sorrow a godly sorrow that I would hurt my God, that I would act in a way that would paint him in a picture that no one else would want him. He realises how serious his mistake is. He realises how serious his actions are, especially in terms of the heart of God. Godly sorrow. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Worldly sorrow leads to death. Godly sorrow brings repentance. It leads to salvation. David showed a true repentance, a godly sorrow. And now that he's repented, because he's realized that he's grieved God, now this is what starts to rip him apart. Not the mistake, 
not the hurt, not the pain. Those things are there constantly. But you know what? What starts to rip David apart? That he's sullied his relationship with Father God. That he's done something so terrible that he's not in that intimate relationship with him anymore. And he has this heart that wants to be restored. Psalm 51.10 says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence or take me from your spirit. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to... He wanted to be restored. And our God loves to restore the unrestorable. That's, that's who he is. That's, that's why we gather together. That's why we open the church. That's why we praise. That's why we meet. Because we, we have this love for a God that took each and every one of us when we were our, at our lowest. Even when you were born into a Christian believing family that's still taken you for who you are and restored you to who you will be. Each and every one of us, that's why we gather together. That's why we praise him. He loves to love the unlovable. And, and you just got to look through history. You know, it, every situation that people have put themselves in, that we'll put ourselves in, that the enemy has positioned us and we've compromised, he still, still, still loves us and restores us. If he can take Saul, not King Saul, but Saul, Paul, a, a self-righteous, murdering, Christian person and make him one of the greatest church planters in history, he can do anything. If he can take a liar like Abraham and turn him into the father of our faith, he can do anything with you and I. Yeah. If he can take a murderer like Moses and turn him into a freedom fighter, if he can take a deceptive, cheating, sellout Matthew yeah, and, and make him into one of the disciples, imagine what he could do with you and I if we gave him our whole selves. Everything, even our pain, even our shame. Imagine what he could do with us. So why do we carry our secrets? Why, do, as believers, do we carry stuff? I mean, I'm, over time, but I, it's God just doing this stuff lately. David's story didn't end there, and I just want to speak life and hope. Our story doesn't have to end at that story. Yeah, It doesn't matter if it's tomorrow. It doesn't matter if that thing, that pain happened yesterday. Doesn't matter if it happened five years ago. Doesn't matter if it happened 30 years ago. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Our story doesn't have to stop and end there. With David, the pain in his life, in Bathsheba's life, in Uriah's life, their family, because of what he did, it didn't disqualify David from all that God had purposed for him because he was prepared to recognize and own. He was prepared to not just repent, but I'm talking that godly sorrow. He was ripped to his soul about what he had done in his relationship with God. And he wanted more than anything to be restored. David had to recognize his faults and failures and weaknesses, his sin. He had to repent. The Father wanted to restore him. And Papa wants to, re to restore us. It doesn't matter the things that we've done. We just have to acknowledge them sometimes, don't we? He's a God who restores the pain, the consequence that we're experiencing, that we've experienced. We have to go through that because it helps us to know that we need him. And if I've learned anything in my faith, if, if there's one thing that propels me forward every day, 
is the reality that I need him. That I need him. That I need him. That I need him. My sister-in-law often says that Christianity is because people need a crutch. Amen. You know what? Praise God. My mum, <laughs> my mum, we were there on Friday, and um, as we're leaving, she goes, "This is my walker for inside the house. It's smaller, and this is my walker, my bigger one. If I go to get the mail in the street, and then I've got a walker inside my car if I go shopping. You know what, man? Jesus, be my walker in my house. Be the walker out in my mailbox. <laughs> be the walker in the boot of my car when I go shopping." If you are the one that's going to carry me, then carry me everywhere I go. Yeah? He permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. <laughs> David and Bathsheba, after all of that, because of David's heart. I want to finish with this. I'll just get you to stand if you could. After all that David had done, after all that he had done, David and Bathsheba have another baby. Now, this baby is instrumental in Jewish history. This baby is talked about all over the world. Who is he? Solomon. 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 Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, 2 Samuel 12, 24. And he went to her and made love to her. She gave birth to a son and they named him Solomon. The Lord loved him. If you read Matthew 1... <laughs> What you read in Matthew 1 is the genealogy of Jesus. We normally skip over that. But in the genealogy of Jesus, there's more dysfunction in those names than anywhere else. Yeah? Tamar, Rahab, Bathsheba herself. And that's just a couple. So this morning, for those that are here, for me, for those that are watching and listening, our story isn't over. In fact, for many of us, our story is actually just beginning. And just because we found ourselves in times in compromised positions where the enemy tries to rob our identity, I know this. Restoration begins with a decision. A decision to acknowledge our weaknesses, our faults, our sin. It leads us into repentance. It leads us to a place that if we have the courage, we give God all our shame. David, I guarantee you, they, David... Would, could and would never have imagined the blessing that would come through Bathsheba when he first compromised himself in that position. There is no way that he would know that would happen after all that he'd been through, especially after the words of the prophet Nathan. But because he got his heart right before our father, Solomon happened. So just for those at home, for those that he just... If I could ask you to just close your eyes as I ask one question and we close with prayer. What's the Solomon <laughs> waiting to happen in your life? What's the Solomon that's waiting to be birthed in your story? If you'll simply get some stuff right with God, if you will recognize it and have a godly sorrow that leads you with a heart full of and wanting to be restored by him. What is your Solomon? The Solomon that will change the world. The Solomon that will change your life, the community around you, that will paint a picture of Christianity that everyone, even in the city of Ballarat, will say, I want what they've got.
Father, I thank you, God, for the privilege of coming together today. And I ask you, Jesus, to speak to us in such a way. Lord, I thank you that you are gentle. You're a gentleman. Lord, you knock on our heart's door, Father. You never force your way in. And Lord, this day, I just pray that, God, if there are areas of pain that we carry, Lord, some of them because of decisions that we've made where we've compromised ourselves where we shouldn't have, Lord God. Father, this day we recognize those things, those, those mistakes, those wrongdoings, Father, and we come to you with a heart that says, we are sorry that we've hurt you. We are sorry that we've grieved your heart. Lord, our desire is to be with you all the days of our lives. Our desire is to speak the name of Jesus over every situation, Father to speak the name over our families and say, this day, God, we come before you and we say, Lord, take that pain, take those situations. Lord, we say, sorry, God, for what we've done. Sorry for hurting you. Sorry for hurting others. Sorry for hurting ourselves. This day, we acknowledge that we're your children, God, and you have the reign over our life. And Father, we just know, God, that in our, our relationship with you, Father, that we have a Solomon that you're going to birth. Something, somewhere, somehow, that's going to change the world so we give you all the glory and we give you all the honor and everyone in the house said amen thanks for joining us i'm really sorry for going a little bit over